Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of The Tight Beam. It is I, Shannon, and I am once again joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Andrea and Fred. Andrea, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. It's our first snow here, and it's looking lovely. So we've switched it, switched it up from, like, heavy rain Noah's Ark kind of thing to <laughs> snow. Well, that's nice. At least it's pretty to look at. Christmassy. Christmassy. Getting in the spirit. The reason for the season. And Fred, how are you? I am absolutely lovely. I am currently building my Lego Star Wars Advent Calendar Lego of the Day. So how can I complain about that? I always find it funny that like I'm I'm the one with the severe ADHD and yet every time we record I'm the only one who's doing one thing and one thing only. <laughs> I'm doing and my nails. Like. <laughs> I feel like everyone should be impressed that I'm able to focus this long. Like yeah, sometimes <laughs> I peek my phone, but usually only for about a second because I'm scared that if I look away for one moment I'll lose track of what you guys are saying. So yeah. um yeah, this is like the one place where I am like the most focused person in the room. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. <laughs> It's the most amazing thing. <laughs> and we love you for it. Thank you. I appreciate that because my ADHD pisses everybody else off. <laughs> Except Steven. I think he finds it funny. Um, so that that's nice. It's good. Somebody thinks it's funny. Uh, I don't. So <laughs> um, I will say this, though. I am happy because as of recording day, the embargo is lifted. So reviews are coming out. Yeah. And I finally get to see what other people think of this season. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Joe's review. Um, so Joe is my friend. Uh, we watched season six together. And his review came out today. And it's really quite, people are liking it. People are liking his jokes. I'm proud of that. Because um, I had to, I was one of the people who looked over it. So I'm glad his jokes are, are sticking the landing. Good for him. Uh, I said to someone, um... <laughs> I don't think I could write reviews, which is why I have a podcast. I mean, because <laughs> someone, fair, fair, fair I told someone when the embargo lifted, I, I had said, you know, because I told them when the embargo was, but I didn't tell them I had seen it. So I said, you know, the embargo's up so I, I can legally tell you that I've seen it. And they were like, oh, well, what's your impression? That's all I want to know. What's your impression? And I, I told them then I said, you know, <laughs> I, I can't write a review, so I'm happy to give you my my vibe check on the season because like I have a podcast for a reason. I can't I can't write reviews, man. I can't <laughs> write words. Are you joking? Words are hard. Words are hard. hard. And it's hard to kind of quantify how you feel about the final season of something that means a lot to you, you know? Exactly. So um I, I'm fully expecting to cry when we record a our final two season six episodes, like our roundup and our, and I, I, no spoilers. I know I'm going to cry when we talk about Leviathan Falls eventually. I know it. I can feel it. Do you want to know how I know? Because I cried for on and off for three hours when I was reading the, the <laughs> end of it. And when I finished it, um, I actually calmed down. I finally stopped thinking about it. And then I started crying again. I was so mad. Um, so you if you dirty. haven't, if you haven't finished *The Rise and Falls*, you may or may not have that to look forward to. 
Um, I'm also sensitive, so maybe that's why I cried so much. So maybe I should ask your opinion before. Sure. I, I haven't started Leviathan Falls. I have okay. it in my library. I'm finishing Thrawn, and I need about um, one more day to finish that. Hmm. And, okay, so here, here's the question. Okay. Um, last season, we, or last show season, right, um, right. we re-listened to book five. So do I re-listen to six, seven, eight, and then read Leviathan Falls just so it's super fresh, or do I just dive right in, um, knowing that I haven't read book eight in probably two years since it released? So you're asking if I think you should read, re-read? Yeah. Um, um, everything since five. I feel like it kind of depends. So, like, I remembered all the major plot details from Tiamat's Wrath without having to reread it. I might have reread parts of it after I read it the first time. Because I do that sometimes. I'll go back in and, like, make sure I know what I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I, I think I've read one through five three times now. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. six, seven, eight, I think I've only read once. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're feeling particularly, like, unsure, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't see the reason not to read them. If you think you remember enough, you can, I would, like, it I It makes the show, it makes the book longer, then. Uh, That's I'm true, really you won't end it this soon. I'm re-listen to them all just so I can get the better in-depth um, connections of the interconnecting pieces. Mm-hmm. But part of me just wants to jump into the new content, um, yeah, right, even though right. I might be sacrificing some of the details. So yeah. I, I think I will, especially with the holidays coming up, I think I'll have a lot of time for reading. So right. I think I'll lean that way. Um, I need to decide probably in the next one to two days tops. Right. I mean, you're going to have, I wouldn't call it downtime. But you're going to have a lot of time where you can't theoretically go anywhere. So it's also just going to be good reading time for you soon anyway. I think I think right. she's talking about the baby. <laughs> I'm definitely talking about the baby. My well, his in-laws are gonna be here, so he could just like lock himself in, in the bedroom. Mm. I, I was joking the other day, I'm like, I could care less about the baby coming. I just want all this Venezuelan food. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my mom's going to yeah. go wild. Yeah. Uh, she's going to have to send me a shopping list. Yep. <laughs> Get everything everybody needs. Yeah. All right. So um, why are we here? <laughs> well, I mean, we, we were talking about why we were here. We Don't don't act like we weren't just talking about The Expanse literally 0.2 seconds ago. That's true. Um, so... Tonight, we're not talking about Leviathan Falls yet, obviously, because I'm the only one who has uh, finished it, uh, regrettably. Um, tonight, we're here to talk about episode three of uh, season six of The Expanse, Force Projection. So, so it's a Star Wars episode. It's a Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. It's, it's uh, lots of... Uh, like who it's it's basically Miller um projecting himself like 
Luke did in The Last Jedi. Oh, so he has a fight in this one. I think I missed Force it. Force projection. Mm. Yeah. And then Ben Solo, like, rolls up and he's just like, what's going on? You know, like he always does. Um, I never saw Rise. Uh, I never saw. Yeah, the clearly. One. Um, <laughs> for good reason, it turns out. So let's talk a little bit about the title, right? So obviously I Googled uh, what, you know, force projection is because that's a term I'm not familiar with. Um, So according to Wikipedia, power projection or force projection or strength projection is a term used in international relations in or to refer to the capacity of a state to deploy and sustain forces outside its territory. This ability is a crucial element of a state's power in international relations. Any state able to direct its military forces outside its territory might be said to have some level of power projection capability, but the term itself is used most frequently in reference to militaries with a worldwide reach, or at least significantly broader than a state's immediate area. Even states with sizable hard power assets, such as a large standing army, may only be able to exert limited regional influence so long as they lack the means of effectively projecting their power on a global scale. Generally, only a select few states are able to overcome the logistical difficulties inherent in the deployment and direction of a modern mechanized military force. Wow, it's wild that I didn't stumble over more of that. Um <laughs> So uh, some additional facts. Well, traditional measures of power projection typically focus on hard power assets like tanks, soldiers, aircraft, naval vessels, etc. The developing theory of soft power notes that power projection does not necessarily have to involve the active use of military forces in combat. Assets for power projection can often serve dual uses as the deployment of various countries' militaries during the humanitarian response to the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake illustrates. The ability of a state to project its forces into an area may serve as an effective diplomatic lever influencing the decision-making process and acting as a potential deterrent on other states' behavior. So with that in mind, how do we think this title applies to the episode? Well, it's very interesting because it's the ability for you to have different um, areas of power in different territories that are outside of your own. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind is like, like the Pella, Marco's faction, um, that they, and well, and also Siri Station. I think those two are the ones that um, I think about the most where we start at Ceres, but then all the belters are everywhere else. Um, and they're right now the biggest force and biggest threat to humanity, in particular, Marcos. Mm. Marco, not Marcos. I saw that tweet, and I, <laughs> and I just <laughs> that was a big yikes. That's yeah. very funny though. There's definitely like, you know, you kind of have this whole idea of like clearly, Earth and Mars can project their forces as we've seen for six seasons Mm -hmm. and then you also have like in that last paragraph being able to also offer humanitarian aid which also happens in the episode on series so 
it's it's a really like they really hit all sides of this idea of force projection um or at least trying to because um yeah. it, as we're going to be discussing like Sirius is so hesitant mm-hmm. to allow the earthers and the martians to provide them with support oh right yeah but at the same time they're still like doing it and that's yeah. that's kind of force projection seems to apply more to the unn uh mcrn fleet than it does yeah. to like the others um especially because it does fall in line with like first they're sending their forces to a place that's far from earth and mars to do an attack or whatever whatever they're planning on doing and then it turns into the idea of force projection as a diplomatic or humanitarian aid when they realize that series is going to quickly become a humanitarian crisis and they want to ally themselves with sandrani the head of series mm-hmm. so it's kind of like it, they manage to kind of hit both sides of the definition of force projection the basic definition of force projection so uh Sometimes when you were it's... reading the description of it, all I yeah. could think about was Marco um, suppressing the force projection of Mars and the yep. uh, uh, and Earth. And now that the Azure Dragon has been defeated and captured, um, they're going to be able to uh, rely on and use that force projection to influence um, their their needs in the belt. All right. Anything else about force projections? So now let's get in. Maybe a shout out to Obi-Wan. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is not a Star Wars podcast. I don't care. (laughs) All right. So this episode was written by Dan Nowak. It was directed by Jeff Woolnog. Um, And in brief, the UNNMCRN, or if you put it all together, it also looks like (laughs) Unicorn, as Fred stated. (laughs) Um, The fleet arrives at Ceres to find Marco, has left them in a humanitarian crisis. Monica brings her project to the station. Clarissa and Naomi both open up to Holden while Amos receives some much-needed news from an old friend. Philip and Marco... Uh, clash over series. Um, the Rossi and the Pella finally go head to head, and on Laconia, Kara encounters both a miracle and a tragedy. So we got that. I looked at that title sequence, and surprisingly, not too much changes episode to episode, really. Uh, I'm going to take a really close look as we go into like the last three episodes, but when I watched this one, um, I looked for stuff I wasn't able to mention in the previous episodes because I forgot to look at it, as as y'all may remember. <laughs> so a couple interesting things I picked up is uh, one of the things you see from the first episode is you see when it cuts to Mars, you actually see ships like leaving Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, you know, the fleet, that could be people heading out to the gates, that could be rogue Martians, could be anything. Uh, but it, it it fits with the theme of like the dream of Mars is dying or whatever. Yeah. Um, it also you also appear to see Ceres Station when it cuts to like the belt section. Um, like you can kind of see the shape of the docks in um what appears to be Ceres Station. So I thought that was interesting. You can also see uh free navy ships guarding the rings when it cuts to the ring section of the opening credits. 
And what I did notice as I watched these episodes um, was that, you know, whatever is happening around the ring station uh, progresses as the title sequence goes on. So hopefully we'll get more answers as to what that is, um, because we didn't really get any clear answers in this episode, but they're making they. There are hints that there is definitely something something happening in the ring space. There so. is activity. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll discuss that um, when we get to the Pella portion of our discussion. All right. So now let's get into the episode breakdown. Yes. So Ceres Station, uh, the UNN uh, MCRN fleet arrives at Ceres. At first, the station appears deserted and stripped of supplies. Uh, they find the dock workers gathered together and Sandrani demands to speak with whomever is in charge. They and Avasarala speak and she learns Marco only left enough food, water and air for three weeks. The fleet is left in a difficult spot. Monica is given permission to report on the relief efforts and wanders off to talk to a man as the soldiers hand out supplies. They notice she's missing just in time for uh, explosions to begin rocking the docks. It's uh, not a screen time heavy plot line, but it is juicy. Very sad. Mm-hmm. That, like, these people put their trust in Marco mm-hmm. and he strips them to nothing just mm-hmm. to let them die. He is not in for the belters. He's in it for himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just sad to see that because everybody trusted him and he just took everything from them. And mm-hmm. I think that we do see that in history and, like, even probably today in, like, different areas where we have people promising things just so that they can have something or benefit from those people. And then once the means to an end are met, they just up and leave. Mm-hmm. We even see it later in the episode when Philip and Marco are talking about it. And Philip just is like, we abandoned them. And Marco's like, yeah, they were just a stepping stone, basically. We, yep. don't, we don't care about them. They're, they're not the free Navy. Yeah, I have a lot to say about that, but uh, I don't know. I I, I want to gather my thoughts on that because I have a <laughs> lot of interesting thoughts when I was watching that discussion. Those notes are in a different part of my notebook. Yeah, I, from that moment when he was standing on a soapbox saying that yeah. the series station is the, the gem, the, the jewel, mm-hmm. the jewel of the belt and not two episodes later. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, we just and, use them for our own gain, and we strip yeah. them. And, yeah, it's, and it's, a, it's a point of discussion in multiple storylines, too, because um, when we get to the Rocinante, um segment, uh, I mean, characters in there are just curious as to if he actually retreated, if they believe that, you know, he would actually abandon Siri Station, things like that. Like, it is not one of those things where it goes unremarked or uncurious, like multiple people bring it up uh, over multiple episodes too. So it's, it's interesting how like, you know, the choice to, to leave series to the inners and to strip it of anything that will uh, allow the belters there to survive or allow the, uh, MCRN, UNN, United Fleet to gain a foothold there. Um, 
has left people questioning whether he's like the leader truly, that they think he is. Yeah, truly yeah. in it for the Belters. Because that was his whole entire shtick in um, the last season. It was mm-hmm. all about the Belters. Like, we need to rise up and defend who we are. And and it's not the case. And I think in the long run, like, this will sh- um, bite him in the butt because he won't have the numbers. He won't have the Belters behind him. And there's so much potential for people to rally against him and join the people that want to take him down. Yeah. I mean, we're going to... Marco is really up to some nonsense. Well, there's a lot more to say about Marco's leadership abilities uh, when when we get to the Pella because, oh boy, was he really not killing it uh, this episode. But um, I find Sandrani very interesting. Um, so Sandrani, you know, demanded to talk to Avasarala and, well, someone who matters. But of course that's Avasarala. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously Avasarala's reputation precedes her. Everybody knows who's, who she is. And she obviously knows enough about Sandrani that she knows that they uh, worked for. By the way, if you paid attention during the episode, very cool detail. Um, Avasarala does use they, them pronouns for Sandrani. So in case you were confused or didn't know how to uh, talk about Sandrani, I've been using the they, them pronouns in my notes and things like that because that's what Avasarala said. And I I know there was a character in book six that used they, them pronouns as well, but I don't remember if it was Sandrani or not. That's really um, interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah. So it, it was really quick. It was they were talking about Sandrani either before or after this discussion and Avasarala called, uh, referred to them as they. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, just, you know, if anyone wonders why I, I am using they, them pronouns. Um, but they have their talk. Oh, I hear Daisy's, uh, chiming Mm -hmm. in. Um, and Avasarala, you know, mentions that Sandrani used to work for Dawes. Yeah. Uh, and is now working for Marco and Marco, you know, killed Dawes as we know. And they had very different goals and very different, um, uh, methods and you know when Abisarala points this out Sandrani says you know I work for the belt and it's interesting because all we've seen so far is that Sandrani works for as far as we've seen Sandrani does basically bend the knee to the free navy because they let Philip out when Marco demands it um, they allow Marco's people to just do this and then you know be almost proud of the trap when Avasarala finally shows up and we'll have more to talk about in the next episode about this, because this comes up a little more explicitly in the next episode, but um, it's just interesting that like they say like, Oh, I work for the bell. I work for the belt. But when you watch the previous couple of episodes and their attitude here, when facing down Avasarala, it's very clear that they're still working for Marco basically. Um, because I would like to think that if you cared about belters and you cared about the belters of your station, you wouldn't allow Marco and Aros to put you in a humanitarian crisis unless you believe that it's more important to inconvenience the fleet than it is to, 
to help your people. So Sundrani comes off as very ingenuine in this whole thing. They do say, you know, you're not going to encounter any resistance. We're going to let you do your thing. But we only have enough food, air, and water for three weeks. It's like, why why would you ever let Marco do that? (laughs) Who who knows what promises? What Marco Mm -hmm. promised her, right? He could have said, we're going to take... We're going to strip you down to three weeks of food and water and air, and we're going to go store it elsewhere. Because mm. when the UN and, and the MCRN navies come, we don't want them to use and take that away from you. Mm. So Marco could have positioned that as we're going to store it somewhere else to keep it safe. But he probably didn't tell them where it was Yeah. in case they were you know, captured or interrogated. Or promised them that in three weeks they would have everything figured out yeah. and Guaranteed we'll give it back was, to you. He was playing them like a fiddle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I will say, you know, I, I really like the discussion that they had, though, where, like, they're trying to figure out how best to deal with the situation. And obviously the military guys are like, let's just round them up. Let's just, you know police state or whatever and avatar was like we can't be seen on the feeds rounding belters up like cattle and i it's it's so true like it's the optics are so crucial here because avatar uh marco clearly laid this trap for them where they are going to be forced to help series or look like they don't actually care about the belt which avatarala is trying to prove that she does but so, that's the military mentality, and that's mm-hmm. why she, they said even in the episode that we are a, a navy, not a police force. Yeah. So it's just like it's 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 nice to see Avasarala like sticking to this growth that she had in season five of trying to bring the belt into the fight against the free navy, as opposed to just being like inners versus the belt. Yeah. We know um, that it's still not still not perfect but she's trying and like that that's huge and we kind of even see it i I, i'm gonna loop back to this first scene because there was a a throwback in it that i really like but i want to i was trying to stay on this thread um we do see later like yeah the mcrn soldiers and the unn soldiers are participating in humanitarian like relief they're giving out food they're giving out supplies they're using a translator app to speak i was gonna mention that yeah (laughs) i thought it was really cool because like you see the guy trying to practice and Mm -hmm. figure out how to say specific things so i mean they're trying their best and it's juxtaposed with monica being fluent in Lang Belta and talking yeah. to a Belter man in Lang Belta. I also loved when she caught that MCRN guy, like, weren't didn't we come here to shoot these people? Yeah. And the and the, and the UN guy's just like, asshole. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. she's recording. I love that. I thought that was so funny because like even though they're working together, they still have this little rivalry where he's just like, Yeah, bro, you can't say that in front of them yep. and on camera. That's rude. Um, <laughs> but one thing I liked in that first scene, first of all, that Carino is back, who was the captain of the Hammurabi, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, which, what, that's season three? Um, yeah, season three, so. yes. Um, so it's nice to see that they brought Carino back. But what I really thought was nice... This season has a lot of throwbacks to season one specifically, which you would expect. It's a final season. 
And there's a moment where, you know, Carino demands that MCRN interrogate Sandrani, they be, that they be the ones to do it. And yeah. Abastral is like, no, 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 you, like, I don't want to see any torture, blah, blah, blah. And Carino says, um, we don't need to rely on violence or whatever. And if you think back to season one, we've seen yeah. Martian interrogations in season one and season two. And oh, they just yeah. have the drugs where they can just watch you for signs of lying. Well, and we've seen Navasarala's interrogations too. Um, and how like really inhumane they were when it came to Belters. Um, so I think that it's really interesting to see how far she's come. Yeah. Like yeah. she doesn't she doesn't wanna do it and it's just, I just thought it was nice to like, because remember the cat and CQB were two of the most beloved episodes of the show. And so to have this little, and there's more throwbacks to this, those episodes in this episode. Yeah. So I, I just thought it was really nice. It was nice to see. Rip so, Chad. That's all I have to say. Rip Chad. <laughs> remember the Doniger. Uh, but GG. yeah. Yeah. So uh, as we know, at the end of this arc, um, there are explosions on series. And that's where the episode kind of ends uh, for that arc. So we don't really get any answers, but basically, you know, things start blowing up. Yep. On series. So it, it's only going to get worse. Who did it? Who did it? <laughs> yeah. Who did it? Like, is it an accident? Like, that's going to be the question going into the next episode. And also, how will this affect the already really fragile piece and the really fragile uh, relief efforts Yeah, on series? Yeah, and without you... speaking to what's coming in the next episode, which mm -hmm. we, at this point we, we know what's happening, but it yeah. really feels like um, in this moment that it is either extremist belters that want the the earthers and the the martians to leave mm -hmm. or it is um something else that we're, we're not sure um maybe there's dissidents amongst the, the un and the martians that just want to hurt belters maybe there's uh marco's people are still on the station and they're trying mm -hmm. to just sow more dissent between um through many Belter faction and uh, the inners. Yeah. The saddest part was seeing the series docks and seeing the the one frigate get blown off the docks and like blown towards the other yeah. frigate. And I was like, oh no, not the baby Rossies. Oh no. <laughs> I was very sad. I was very scared for them and the people, but I was like, no, the baby Rossies. Yikes. Oh. Yeah, the baby, the baby Rossies. All right. So. We're getting off series station and hopping on to Drummer's um, little faction. So Drummer and Walker discuss their plans as Micho watches the news feeds on Earth. Pastor Anna discusses the issues with water and food, which is really awesome to see her back, um, leading Joseph to com comment that that is what the Belters face. They begin fighting as Micho believes no one should live as the Belters were forced to do, but a look at for, from Drummer quiets them both. I really enjoyed like this little snippet because like everybody wants Micho to to be like guns blazing, hardcore, 
like let's kill whoever stands in our way but she's the one that understands why killing each other is so wrong regardless of everybody's viewpoints why make somebody suffer the same conditions that you were made to suffer like what does that do it just leads to more resentment and that's what they're trying to get away from um so i i really have started to enjoy micho just because yeah she's overly sensitive but she does have a strong head on her shoulders um and i like that and it was nice to see uh anna back um on screen uh to call back to um season four right um so uh, three three yes mm. um so i really really enjoyed this um and we we do see that there is some tension between um just the whole entire family that I don't really think drummer sees it the way that she does either. I just want to quickly apologize to listeners and my co-host. I realized I had the wrong mic hooked up the entire time. So if my audio is bad, I love you and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I also really enjoyed this, you know, last season, Micho was one like the main member of the family and crew that objected to joining Marco because she objected to the violence um, and the attack on Earth. That she didn't believe that doing to Earth what Earth did to the belt was was good. Um, she and she says to Joseph like. You know, we're killing their children, we're starving them, we're poisoning them. Uh, like, we're literally doing to them what they've done to us. And I don't think anyone should have to suffer the way we suffered. Yeah. And because she's she's a good person. Like, not, not saying that people who want to attack Earth are bad people and, like, to start. But she is just a caring person. Mm -hmm. And she does not like to see people suffer regardless of who those people are. And... You know, we talked about how Monica's whole project, and we find out, I we found out in um, the UNN storyline that this was actually part of Mar um, Monica's project, that the Anna video feed was part of, like, her task to, like, humanize Earthers. So clearly it's working. Um, but, you know... It, Micho watches this and it makes her sad because obviously she doesn't believe she should have lived this way. Mm -hmm. And so why would she want somebody else to live that way? Like that's she like I remember um, Andrea had said once like an eye for an eye, Looks you know, is blind. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You said like, you know, it, it's not good. It doesn't work that way. And, and Micho clearly agrees with you. Um, and, you know, she and Joseph clash because Joseph was somebody who wanted to ally with Marco. He did believe that, you know, Earth has oppressed, you know, the belt long enough and the belt needed to be able to stand up. And that line, that line is so brutal, you know. Oh, poor Earther doesn't know where she's going to get her food and water. Welcome to the belt. Yeah. Like, damn, that was cold. But, like, he's not wrong. He's it's not kind of, wrong, yeah. Yeah, it's hard because both of them are, both of them are coming from a place where, like, both of them have a point. Neither of them are wrong. But 
you know, Micho has what we would all like to think our point of view is, which is we don't want to see people suffer. And, um, you know, she's seeing how millions of Earthers are dying. And this is never what she wanted. She didn't want to kill Earthers to get Belters to a better place. Yeah. Like, she didn't think that's what she should have to do. And it's it's breaking her heart. And Walker has that great comment, like, I see why you wanted her off the ship. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> Which makes me so sad because, like, yeah. again, like, I get where she's coming from. And you don't need to to shut off your like emotions and your moral compass to get what you want. And I think that that's what a lot of people do when they're faced with trying to kind of like avenge like their countries or, or, or in this case, like their, I guess, factions, they, they strip themselves away from their moral compass. And that's not right because you only become as bad as the person that inflicted pain at the beginning. Well, even if you look on Earth conflicts in the last hundred years, you would recognize your opponent as insults to try to dehumanize them. Yeah. Um, so when you're, you're you're marketing the victories and whatnot, you're, you're not tying it to uh, personal injury. You're tying it to uh, your victory against uh, who I'm not going to say any insults, but, you know, these right. people. Uh, so it, it's. Yeah, it's interesting. Michio keeps it humanized, and that's why she hurts, and that's why she feels that way. And and the rest of the um, people on the ship aren't humanizing them. They're just seeing them as inners or earthers mm -hmm. uh, as a general. Yeah. And I, I am impressed that Joseph and Michio, like, when they're, you know, given the signal that the fighting is inappropriate, they are able to stop their fighting and just go, like, you know, difference of opinion. Like, right. They're, they love each other enough that while they know they don't agree, if, if you know, fighting about it is inappropriate, they're going to stop. Sorry, there's a doggy face in the camera, and it's it's very cute. Oh, she's dancing. She's waving. Oh, we're, we're having a deep conversation, and the dog wants to be a part of it. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just because I, I used to kind of say the same thing in season two, like Holden and Naomi had like a big blowout fight, and then the next time we see them, they're in bed together. So like the kind of thing where like you care about someone enough that even if you have a difference of opinion or a different perspective, you still go home to them at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that Michio and Joseph like still care about each other enough that even though they have this pretty significant difference in opinion, they're, they're still able to kind of come together when, you know, drummer points out that maybe they shouldn't be fighting on the bridge. Yeah. Now we have another dog, fat dog, birthday girl. Whoa, do you just call my dog fat? Why are you Fred fat did it last time. Fred did it last time. <laughs> I only did it because Fred did. She's uh, beautiful and she knows it. She's she's well-rounded. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a fat joke? Just kidding. I'm oh. I'm a big girl, okay? I can I can giggle about fat dogs. We we classify her as Cartman's girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god um fred do you have anything else to say you were you were kind of quiet because you were playing with dogs so i want to make sure if you had anything you wanted to talk about no 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 and i i think this goes back to that point that i was just trying to make that i i really appreciate that uh, michio is humanizing the conflict uh, and she's able to 
put aside her feelings and her anger towards um, Drummer, towards um, Joseph, and they can still maintain the relationship even though they have difference of opinion. I really like this um, family aspect that they have on their ship, and I think it's fantastic, and a, a whole other way of uh, appreciating the, the show. Yeah. Alrighty, let's get right. to the uh, real nitty-gritty that we've the been... The real stuff that we've been dying to talk about. So let's jump over to the Pella. Philip watches the news feeds covering Marco's supposed abandonment of Ceres, a researcher killed on Ganymede suspected of being a spy, and clashes between Free Navy supporters and protesters. He's concerned with what they're saying, as well as the fact that they abandoned Ceres to the Inners, but Marco is not as concerned, and goes as far as saying the Ceres belters are not the same as they are. He uses them as a tool to inconvenience the inners rather than as his people. They come across a ship, and when Marco realizes it's the Rocinante, orders them to attack, seeing it as an opportunity. When they ultimately lose the fight, he's criticized by Philip, who says that Marco's drive to unnecessarily kill Holden is blinding him to their mission. After banishing Philip from Ops, he receives news that a delivery from Laconia is en route to Medina. So uh, as you can tell, we're kind of going to save the juicy fight stuff for the Rocinante discussion. But, oh boy, was there a lot of meat in this one, boys. It just makes me hate um, Marco <laughs> even more. Um, He's such a punk. Yeah. So it's very interesting because when Philip is watching the feed, he that's when he starts to realize what his father did. Um, and you see a picture of uh, one of the graffiti pictures in series. And over top of it, you see the coward mm -hmm. um, written on it, which is so interesting because Marco has been this man who wants to be hailed as a king. Um, and you do start seeing that Ceres doesn't see him that way. Um, and and Philip, when he was in Ceres, he fed on that. He, he fed on the fact that his father was so grand and so charismatic. And it stripped away. So now he is a little bit ashamed at the very beginning of his father. He's killed his friend. He has been fighting um, for for somebody that now is not as respected in the belt. Um, and it's super interesting that how things have turned. But in the end, the manipulation that Philip has already been through is going to drive him back to his father because he does not have another place to run. The well, word coward comes up a lot. Too. Yes, it, it really does. And Philip, sorry, not Philip. Marco is an actor, and mm -hmm. he needs to keep reiterating the persona of himself as Marco for people to believe it. Once he stops and he leaves series, for example, that facade just crumbles away, and yeah. people see him for who he truly is. Mm -hmm. And that's where the cowardice comes from. There's even like specifically a part where f when Philip first goes to Marco, he says, um, like, they're calling us cowards. And Philip or, and Marco asks him, why do you care what dissidents think? Because anybody who criticizes Marco, regardless of what side they're on, I guess, is now a dissident. Like, 
this episode really kind of opens up the question of whether Marco actually cares about his cause from the gamut of the fact that he abandoned series after calling it, you know, the new capital, how he doesn't care. He doesn't even think the belters who are from series are belters like he is like, he sees them as a different class of belter because they grew up on a station. He prioritizes killing Holden yeah. For no reason over literally anything else. And oh boy, I cannot wait to talk about that one because that's a whole lot of stuff measuring uh, going on right there. Um, but the fact that like Marco is now branding anyone who criticizes his, him as a dissident as opposed to his people, he's just making it more obvious that it isn't about fighting for the belt. It's about him. Hondo percent. Yeah. And they may it start it makes not only the audience wonder, but Philip wonder if it's always been like that, if he ever actually cared about the cause. Because he's certainly not acting like it. And even like Rosenfeld calls him out on his nonsense at times. So mm-hmm. like everybody's pointing it out. Like his speech. So for those of you wondering what I mean by he doesn't see series belters as Uh, the same class. This is specifically what he says to Philip. Uh, It speaks well of you that you care about them, but the belters on series are not like us. Generation after generation, they slaved for the inners, accommodating their needs instead of fighting for ours, caring more about their own comforts than the future of the belt. You and I were meant to be out here in the darkness, in the fight. That's who we are, who we were born to be. Never forget what your name is, the name we share. So what he's saying is, and we know for a fact this isn't true because we've met series belters who consider themselves freedom fighters for all of the belt. What he, including, um, might I add, Anderson Dawes, yeah. the first one we ever met. So you're you're telling me that simply because they grew up on a station that was run by Earth, that they don't actually care about the plight of the belt. So they're not really belters. Like he's doing this weird equivalency, which you do see in, in fighting and like in groups, like all groups kind of have infighting. And this is one of those things where like, well, they're not real belters because they don't always fight for us. Like we're the ones in the ships with the guns, like as if he didn't work on a station himself for his entire you know, early adult life. And who is he to say what a real belter is? Hmm? And that's the thing. We again, we do see this a lot of the times. It's a uh, you versus me when we're the same color, or you versus them when you like you come from the same upbringing. But the fact that like something goes off, then that makes you not be part of the stance that you're taking it's just i mean again like who is he to be the one to define what belters truly are yeah and you know philip obviously picks up on the fact that marco is seeing these belters as a tool to to inconvenience the inners as opposed to his people yeah like he's making it very obvious that like he does not actually care about like the average belter and giving everyone their freedom. He cares about the people who are fighting with him for him. And on a lighter note, (laughs) not to, not to praise Marco. um, But one thing I always loved about 
interactions between Belters and other people. And this goes for Holden and Naomi as well. And, and Amos and Naomi, because Naomi's done this multiple times herself, this like kind of sign of affection where like Belters will touch foreheads. We've seen it time and time again. And it's kind of like reminiscent of like pressing helmets together so you can communicate without a radio. And Naomi does it several times throughout the series with like her family members, specifically, like I said, Holden and Amos. Um, And we've seen Marco do it with Philip. Like we've seen just friends, Belter friends do it. And I, I love it. I think it's such an interesting little look into the development of that culture and I mean, we've seen Naomi kind of use other belter like hand signals and and things like that with with Holden and them. But this idea that like perhaps like even the way they, you know, kiss and hug is different simply because of the environment that their ancestors was were raised in. Just I ah, oh, the world building is chef kiss. Mm-hmm. Um so I really did love that detail. But getting into um, <laughs> let's let's talk about Marco's leadership abilities once again. Um, so as we know, they find the Rossi, and Marco I love the smile <laughs> on his face. Oh, he lights <laughs> up like it's Christmas. Yeah, he is so excited. This is the one thing he wanted. Naomi and Holden, because it's not really the Rossi, it's Naomi and Holden in his crosshairs. And that's the thing, What another thing I thought really interesting is that it's no longer just Naomi he wants to kill. It's Holden and Naomi. And sometimes specifically, just Holden. Um, I just, it just makes it clear kind of what his hangups are based on who his enemies are. You know, um, well, it's and not so, just that. It's he wants to kill the symbol of the Rosinante. Oh, well, yeah, oh, absolutely. But, but what I'm saying is his language shifted from in this episode, it finally shifts from killing the Rosinante to killing Holden. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's when it gets interesting because obviously he wants to kill the Rosinante because it's a symbol. Like that's what his whole goal last season was. But now the language is changing and it's less about the symbol and more about the people inside it. And he's making it personal, which is why Philip, you know, calls him out on it at the end of the yeah, He really does. Yeah. He, really, he really comes for him because, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this in a sec because I, I still love the whole, like, idea of him, like, he's opening his presents at Christmas time. Um, everyone's just like, please don't do it. You don't have to do this. And he's like, I would love to do this. Um, I love mess. So... Um, Ahab needs his white whale. <laughs> exactly. So he uh, he considers this an opportunity, whereas everyone is like, this is a waste of time. And it is. It is. It, is. Because... it turns out to be a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. And supplies. Yep. Um, so at, <laughs> after the... <laughs> That's some senior crew members. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. Um. So after the fight, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about the fight when we go to the the Rocinante section here, because that's where the good stuff is. Um, after the fight, Philip calls Marco out on the bridge. First of all, love the energy, Philip. Absolutely love the strength, love the energy. But what I thought was really interesting, um, and this kind of leads to this whole mentality that Marco has about which we talked about last season, how he spins 
losses into victories and vice versa. So Rose, you know, Marco's complaining about how they lost. And he says, they baited us with their bullets. And Rosenfeld says they were smart. To which Marco replies, they were lucky. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's interesting how all of a sudden they're they're lucky, not him. They are because he lost. It wasn't because they were smart. It wasn't because they figured out what he was doing. It was because they were lucky. Because yeah, no one's never, smarter than Marco. Will, exactly. He will never admit that he almost killed his crew and himself. Yep. And he, he does also fire his pilot in the same breath. He's yep. just like, yo, get me somebody who's actually going to do the job. So Philip calls him out. Um, well, first of all, he's, it starts with Marco once again, as always, blaming Philip for his failures. Uh, to which Philip is just like, no, you failed. Which yeah, was, I was oh, like, oh, no. He said that in front of the crew. My breath <laughs> caught when he said that. <laughs> Daddy's going to give you a spanking. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um. You know, we already saw that Philip is willing to tell Marco to focus on the mission. He did it last season when Marco wanted to go after the Rossi. Um, but he says, first of all, Marco calls Philip a coward. So we come back again to, you know, ca- the, using the word coward, coward. But Philip says specifically, and this is what I thought was really interesting because he gets cut off. And I want to know what you guys think he was going to say. Um, Philip says to him, we didn't need to kill James Holden. That was your pride. That was you who wanted to kill the man, and that's when he gets cut off. Who effed my mother. That's what I think it is. He was about, I think he was about to say either the man Naomi loves or the man Naomi left you for. Because yeah. Marco keeps acting like Naomi left Holden for him, which is absolutely not true. And it happened in the book, too. He would tell people, like, he convinced Philip that Naomi left him for Holden. And Naomi literally sits there like, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't meet Holden for several years after this. Um, so Philip knows exactly what the problem is. It has nothing to do with wanting to take out the Rocinante anymore. It's the fact that he wants to take out the person Naomi left them for because he has, let me check my notes before I say this. Well, why well, I can't at- talk about it yet. I can't talk about it yet. So go ahead, Andrea. No, well, what I was going to say is that it's one of those conquests that he was never able to fully conquer. Like yeah. it's, it's that thing that got away and he, he really would rather see her dead than be happy with somebody else because mm-hmm. that was his possession for so long. He also wants them both to suffer, but specifically Naomi, like he wants Naomi to suffer, yeah. but the fact that his son was able to see right through him and figure out exactly what the issue is when, when Philip was the one who was so angry with Naomi at the end of last season, oh my God, like the growth. Love it. Good job, Philip. But he's still with his daddy. So, I mean, I don't know how much I can love that Philip boy. Yeah. And I, he I was do. pretty, pretty um, quick after the first round to shoot at the Rocinante. Yeah. So, I don't know, Philip. I don't know. Still hate you, but... <laughs> I do love how, like, when he said, I did my job, I fired on them. And Mark was like, yeah, but you didn't kill them, so you failed. I just, yeah. <laughs> He's so petty. <laughs> he, 
He reminds me of those parents in school where it's like, hey, dad, I got a 99%. Where's that 1% go? <laughs> yeah, that's Stop my dad. Up. What are you talking about? Don't don't mention his name here. <laughs> dad, look, I got a B. Yeah, but why didn't you get an A? Yep. Like, yep. Oh, sir. Triggered. I, I get that. <laughs> I just... I just really love how revealing that conversation is between them that like Philip is starting to see that it's no longer about taking out a symbol. It's no longer about the war. It's about wanting to defeat James Holden. Yeah. And I just, I, I have more to say on that, but like I, I technically can't say it yet. So that's why I wanted to check. I wanted to make sure I knew which episode we were on. Um, Cause we, we cover multiple episodes in one recording session. It's easy to get confused. So it's just, I just really loved Marco kind of, or Marco Philip kind of standing up for himself and just absolutely dragging his dad's dirty laundry in front of the entire crew. Yep. You go, my boy, you do that thing. Your dad's a petty brat. It was, um, it was nice to see. Um, so- because he's starting to to have some footing on his own and and we're, and hopefully we're able to see that moving forward in terms of like his development that he starts to push himself away from his father and like these are, i think they're the first snippets of him pulling away yeah. and we've seen him try to pull away before whether mm-hmm. he's successful or not like it's we're, we're we'll eventually see but it's nice to see him standing up yeah. And Keon Alexander was so, so I, good. I've always said it. He has such a punchable face. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad we never met him on set because I probably would have punched him. Oh, like, he seems so really sad. nice, though. Uh, did you yeah. hear he sent a rock to Ty? Yeah, he did. Oh, no. Yeah. He sent Ty a rock. It's a beautiful rock, though. It's a beautiful rock. But he sent him a rock. Um, Fred, did you have anything to say? Andrew and I kind of had a good time, like hitting Marco with a pinata bat. So I, w- I would love to hear if you have anything to say. I think he's just preparing himself to talk about the Rossi, to be honest. No, no. I think it's time to address the, uh, <laughs> the, the climax the, of the episode. The rail gun the in, the in the room. The rail gun in the room. Uh, the flip and shoot and oh my god, that that's so sexy. I told you Holden as pilot is hot. <laughs> that was so sexy. I don't really think that that's the part that Fred finds hot. But I know he I, thinks I know what he thinks is hot. But I'm just saying, like I, I told you right y'all, now, this would be hot. Is not the hottest man on that that ship. So <laughs> I know we know who you love, Fred. We know you have a deep love affair with Amos. So I'm gonna I'm gonna li- let you go. I'm gonna stop making jokes so you can talk about your boyfriend. Yeah, if Holden puts <laughs> a few more pounds on those bones, I think he might be a little better. But. <laughs> Amos got my heart. Hold it's too skinny for me, Fred says. That's the next, <laughs> that's the headline. You know, that's where I'm gonna get the title from, Fred. You gotta be careful. That's that's fine. I'm good with that. <laughs> All right, we ready for this? Yes. All right. So the Rosie heads to series. When Holden entrusts the watch to Clarissa so he can get some rest, she opens up to him about her wanting to kill and disgrace him. As we uh, also get to her killing Ren. Holden assures her that she is not the only one with regrets, and she takes the watch. Meanwhile, Amos takes Bobby, uh, talks, 
sorry. Meanwhile, Amos tells Bobby about Ceres and all of its great noodles, bars, and brothels. Holden checks on Naomi, who tells him why she froze up during the mission. He asks her to help him go through the data from the rings, and she's, she sees that he's giving her something she can distract herself with. Later, Amos and Bobby are working in the machine shop when he receives encrypted data involving increasing fl- uh, food yields that will help the Earth in the belt. Yay, Prax. It comes with um, a message from Prax, who is risking his safety to get this data to somebody who could put it to use, and he trusts Amos to get it there. Amos sends it to Avasarala. Naomi wakes Holden to tell him that she's figured it out, and they've interrupted... And they're interrupted when the Rossi picks up the Pella. Holden tries to use the railgun to take them out, but only succeeds in damaging one ship before Marco picks up how how to dodge the attacks. Bobby and Holden bait them into PDC rounds instead, disabling the Pella. Holden calls Marco to give him a chance to surrender, but instead Marco refuses and makes sure he and Naomi can see Philip behind him. Bobby fires a torpedo at the Pella, but Holden disables it before it can detonate, sparing Philip and the Pella. I don't think it's really sparing Philip and the Pella. It, it's sparing Holden's murder of Naomi's son. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But we'll we'll get there. <laughs> Remember, like, like it's like I'm lot. not the only one getting confused here. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> There's okay. a lot going on here. I just realized something while you were reading that, by the way. (laughs) Do you want to know now or do you want to wait? Because it's kind of nasty. We're going to get to hit Marco with a pinata bat again. That's fine. (laughs) So I just realized while you were reading that, right? So before the fight starts, Marco specifically turns to Philip and he says, I want you at fire control. Now, where would fire control put him? Next to Marco. Yeah. I think Marco knew that Naomi or Holden was probably going to try and call him. And so, and cause he, he specifically shifts out of the way. So Holden can see Philip behind him. Oh, yeah. He, so he definitely did that on purpose. Marco he definitely did that on purpose. And he, so Marco, sorry, Marco is not righteous. Marco knows Holden is righteous yeah. and won't just kill them without an offer of surrender. Unlike everybody else on the Rossi. They're like, he's just straight up, shoot the he's straight up using his kid as a human shield. What a punk. Just anyway. go over the corpse, go up and down, and call Holden it a Holden would never, Marco. And you know it, you piece of crap. Anyway, go ahead, Andrew. I got you all. Oh, no, like, no, that's fine. Um, my mind was blown. I think that, like, the very first thing that we should talk about before we get into, like, the big parts of the Rossinante story is the message from Prax. Um, cause it, it's such a short little section, but it's also very important. And it's really funny because when, um, Amos is watching the feed, he's like, um, he, he'll get to the point eventually. And <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> because, he gets to the point. Yeah. Because he's like so scientific in the way that he's talking about things and who is with him. Is it Bobby or yeah, Bobby? Yeah. And Bobby is like completely confused about the scientific terms that he's using and, it's really nice to just see how down to earth the relationship between Prax and Amos is. 
um, because it's a friendship that you would never expect. And he's able to read Prax like in such a natural way. It's like, yeah, just wait. He'll he'll get to the point eventually. Yeah. I, I just I enjoyed that interaction. And again, it's such a nice callback to season two. Um, and just we're getting so many callbacks, so many characters coming back, and it's so nice to see. Speaking of characters coming back uh, and callbacks, I really loved that scene with Holden and Clarissa. Like, he's like, take the watch. I'm really tired. I need a nap. She's like, hey, uh, do you want to know why I wanted to kill you or why I got my mods? And he's just straight up like staring at her like, uh. No, I sure don't. (laughs) But I really liked, you know, her kind of working through like her, like, you know how, um, I mean, I'm I'm Catholic, and well, I was raised Catholic, I should say, and like, there's this whole idea of um, I forget the word. It starts with an R. Redemption. Um, not redemption. Um, it's because it's not something somebody else gives you. It's something you do to get redemption. I just can't find the Repent. word. Repent. Repentance. Yes, repentance. So it almost feels like she's trying to you know give her repentance to Holden like telling him yeah yeah, her confession of like here's what I did and here's why I don't like using my mods and she tells him about Ren and I really think that it's interesting that she chooses to talk about this with Holden um because Holden I think he's always seen as like the person to go to for like not absolution but he's a good he's a good person and so I think a lot of people like kind of turn to him in their darker moments in the hopes that maybe like he won't judge them or something. But Holden is not great at judging people he likes or wants to like. And so like I thought it was really sweet of him to kind of just smile at her and be like, everybody has something they regret. Well, You're in good I, company. To be honest, I I thought that she did it because I think that she feels like he's the only one that can forgive him. Yeah. Forgive her, sorry, for what she almost did to him. Like, she could confess to somebody else her her trials and stuff like that. and and But nobody will ever be able to give her as much closure as the person that she tried to kill. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Oh, it's gone now. Oh, friend. Oh, no. <laughs> He'll remember. He'll remember. Um, do you have anything new you want to say before I talk about something <laughs> else? Because it sounded like you did, and I don't want to also steal your thought no uh what i was trying to to get to was just that um in the previous episode my thought came back in the previous <laughs> episode job. um holden accepted her as crew so he had extended the olive branch yeah. and i think this is clarissa's like um next step is she she's been accepted as a crew now she needs to feel she needs to unburden uh, where she was coming from and mm-hmm. of course th- there's no one else on the crew she can tell that to it has to be holden because that's who she wanted to kill and, and what her motivations were and and why she blamed him even though it wasn't him it was um every like her father was in the wrong and all that yeah. but she was trying to protect her own which y- y- you can't fault her for yeah but no it, it all tied together in a really good moment i really enjoyed that scene and she's still so hesitant about taking the wheel, get, yeah. being given that responsibility, yeah. which which shows like 
so much of her humanity and so much mm-hmm. her of her love and care. She doesn't want to screw things up yeah. with her new family. Mm-hmm. And I really do love how he tells her, like, you're in good company. And she just kind of nods and says, like, I have the watch. Like, I yeah. like how his being able to tell her that she's she's not the, she's not alone mm-hmm. on this crew and having things she regrets and that he's not like the unspoken acknowledgement of what she's done and and the unspoken acknowledgement that he is not going to you know judge her for that she you know clearly takes it as a comfort and is like you got you're right i have the watch i'll take it and i also really love their back and forth where she's like coming up with all the reasons why she shouldn't have the watch like i wasn't in the navy and hold is just like well i was only in it long enough to get kicked out so uh, (laughs) it really i just thought it was really sweet and it carries into like Holden having another really sweet, like soft boy Holden really reigned in this episode because we went from like that to him going to check on his girlfriend <laughs> in another really nice scene. I, this scene, I love, I love this scene and not just because it's Holden and Naomi, but they just know each other so well now that like she knows he wants to ask her if she's okay but he's afraid to and so she just tells him how she's feeling and i i also love that little interaction where he's like well would you be embarrassed for me and she's like no no because you do that enough for yourself (laughs) um but i also really love that he includes her in his worries about the barkeep and everything and she realizes he's asking her because he knows it will distract her because she loves having like problems to figure out and he knows it will give her something to think about other than what's upsetting her and i think that i thought that was really sweet and the fact that he was like yeah that actually is what i was doing yeah it's just really nice it's nice to kind of see them finally be here like to get each other so well that like she knows he wants to ask if she's okay he knows that she wants to find something to kind of put her mind to work and she knows that he wants to do it. It's just, it was a really nice kind of back and forth. And I especially love when she had to wake him up and he was just like, I'm awake. No, you weren't. Don't lie. You were dead asleep, but it was, uh, I just thought it was really nice to kind of Holden's been so stressed out. It's nice to kind of see scenes where he gets to like be chill, be the one guy who's like, like he he's doing the work of trying to keep the crew together, but in a way that just feels a little bit more natural because it's there's no conflict. Mm-hmm. It's just him being him. And I, I love that. It's nice to see. And I love seeing Naomi kind of like happy. Cause I hate how unhappy she always is. Yeah, she has <laughs> been through quite a bit. So it's good to see her loved. Oh, Fred Fred wants to do it. Let's they're do being it, shot Fred. at. The pellet is shooting at the roach. Go. He is here. Marco is here. He's shooting. Okay. The pellet is shooting at the roach. Do you want to Go. take the lead, Fred? You were very excited about this. No, I just want to open up the uh, conversation. No, no, I want you to talk about it. We, you we know you're part. excited about this. We want to hear your thoughts. Okay, so my favorite moment <laughs> okay. of this whole thing was... Uh, okay, obviously the the battle scenes yes. and th- the Rossi doing his 360 railgun yeah. shot. I think they did what three shots, four shots, yeah. and yeah, each time the thing spun and shot was. Oh man, they took out that first ship on the first pass, and you're just oh, like, yeah. So... I was just like, yeah. And really, that one shot that took out one ship 
actually mm. took out two ships because yeah. the other one stopped. Uh, and Marco's like, we don't need them. We can do it on our own. And he orders Philip to to fire again. And what they fired, what, 16 shots? I think I counted between the the three volleys and all of them were, were defeated by the PDCs. And then Bobby's final moment of firing missiles, the PDCs and the railgun all at once, just there, there was nowhere for them to go. It was a greatly choreographed yeah. scene. It was sexy to watch the, the Rossi do her flips. Oh, it was hot. I, I love how Marco was like, the Rossi's not a threat. And Hold is just like, watch this. <laughs> yeah. He just like picked out one ship on the first go. It's so funny. Marco's such a brat. Give me fire control. <laughs> yeah, here you yes. go. <laughs> like, it was just really cool. And I, I really loved, too, how Bob you, you watch Bobby and Holden figure out what's going on. Like, you watch Bobby figure it out. And then when it dawns on Holden as well, it's just everything about that scene was great. Every single thing about it. Um, and, and it also, was nice. Good. Oh, I was gonna say that it's nice to also see Bobby in in the in control and showing her um, Martian military combat training. Yeah, and it oh. also goes to show that like how good it is to have like humans in charge and watching because I, I think she picked up on it very well, and the pilot of the Pella. Um, was very stuck in his his routine mm -hmm. of when they do this, I do this, and yeah. there was no randomness to it. So if there was a, a computer or automation that was in charge of that flight, um, that's how they were able to be defeated. Yeah. yeah. You also have um, it also shows that sometimes even if you do have an attentive pilot, it's good to have a second pair of eyes. Yeah. So oh, yes. Holden Holden knew knew what he was doing, and he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing everything right. But he wasn't able to pick up on the fact that the Pella figured out the the sequence of events that was going to happen before a railgun shot. So B Bobby clearly saw that Holden could not, you know, figure that part out. And so she came up with a second set of eyes. And as soon as she noticed it, Holden picked up on it. Oh, even Holden said it is like we are too far away from them. And yeah. they can watch us do the spin and shoot, and they have lots of time to move. Yeah. And that's when Bobby said we have to give them another distraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just oh, really, it was so nice to see them work together. I, I love it. teamwork. I love, I love, first of all, love. Uh, again, I know Holden said he got kicked out, but, you know, he was exaggerating. It's nice to see someone who has, like, Earth military training working with someone who has Martian military training and like actually taking out a target together and like there's no kind of ego between them about it. Yeah. And it's just it's so cool because we've already seen like in season three we had the, that incredible scene where Holden came up with this really wacky wonky strategy to save the Razorback that had Alex just absolutely mind boggled. And now so now we have these two incredibly smart people who who are able to do really awesome things in a in a ship or in combat situations working together to do something really awesome? Mm -hmm. It was just so cool. I was so excited. I was like, this is the hottest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> what a well, beautiful pretty, day to be bisexual. I'm pretty sure that Holden was in Martian military um, combat gear. Mm -hmm. Bobby obviously was, but Naomi was in UN gear. I'm not sure if you caught that on her helmet. I did, yeah. 
it's just really interesting how it all kind of ties together. I actually saw that and was wondering if the UNN stuff is on there now because they are technically working for the UNN. I think they're just getting supplies wherever they can get it. True, to be honest. true. Because like I'm pretty that looked like her original helmet just with a new branding on. I'd have to go back and look and see what her her helmet before this season looked like. See if it had like PNK or something on it, something cute like that. Um, so there's there's an elef- another elephant within the elephant. Oh wait, before I talk about the elephant in the room, I'm surprised you didn't talk about that scene with Amos and Clarissa, where she's like, <laughs> "We're gonna fix it while we're fighting." He's like, "That's yeah. the job, Peaches." <laughs> He's so excited. He's like, "Let's risk our lives." We're going outside. <laughs> Clarissa is absolutely terrified. Like, she has killed so many people, and the second they have to fix the ship in the middle of a fight, she's terrified. (laughs) Absolutely loved that moment. It was so funny. And Amos is just so excited. Amos is just high on the adrenaline of the moment. It doesn't matter. Like, he could die here and be happy. And we know he wants to kill Marco real bad. Yeah. Because uh, in the first episode, we had him getting mad at Holden for worrying about a different problem. It's like Marco is the only problem. So, like, he's like, his blood is singing. He is so excited to finally be in a fight with the Pella because this is all he wanted was to take out the Pella, which leads me into the elephant in the room. Yeah, the... um... (laughs) The torpedo-sized elephant in the room. (sighs) Oh, Holden. (laughs) So, uh... (laughs) The the con so as we know at the end of the fight they they disable the Pella, and Holden decides rather than to take the Pella out, he he says um, Marco is more valuable as a prisoner, and hails the Pella. Um, so he, he tells Marco to surrender, and Marco, being the slimy little weasel that he is, slides sideways that Holden can see Philip and says. Mm, I'd rather die. And obviously Bobby takes that as, if it is an invitation. Uh, but Holden, because he can see Philip in the background, and we know Naomi's watching too, Holden disables the nuke before it can detonate, and it hits the ship as a dud. And he lets the Pella get away. I mean, they're just building suspense for the next couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That's what Holden was thinking. <laughs> he he saw the last season of Game of Thrones and was like, we can't take out the main villain halfway through the season. <laughs> Have you seen the Red Wedding? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the last season when they killed uh, the, the threat halfway through the season and then we're like, well, now we have Hold to go deal door? with Cersei, who is not as bad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about literally the last season. Like, the last... Those those. How many episodes was it? Only a couple. I don't yeah, think Ted like wants one. to remember it. Yeah, exactly. Um, he 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 kind of saw that and was like, let's do that. No, um, I mean, it's Holden's humanity on full display. He doesn't like killing people. He's clearly had a hard time killing Belter ships on top of Naomi's feeling guilty about killing Belter ships, which I'm sure he's feeling just like feeling her pain as much because that's what he does is he carries everybody's weight with him. But he's looking at the love of his life's son. The reason she, you know, gave up the protomolecule, got them literally to this point in the story. And he's looking at this kid and he's like, 
I can't do this. Yeah. So part of me is just like, he could have let that missile hit and said, that was Bobby. (laughs) It's true. He could have. But I think, I mean, we saw how he was when he was forced to kill a, um, a ship full of doctors. Yeah. And how that, like, he begged them not to give him a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, begged them. And I think when he is faced with the choice, I think he's always going to try and save people. And I think he he probably still thinks Philip is worth saving. But I just, the fact that it's so Holden, that he looks at this kid and it's she looks. It's not out of she, character. You know, it's not out of character. And here's the other issue. They cast a kid who looks so much like both Keon Alexander and Dominique Tipper. So you got to ask yourself, does he see Naomi when he looks at, looks at Philip? Yeah. Of course he like, does. So, you know, I it's Holden. It's quintessentially Holden. And it's easy if you want Marco to die to be angry with him about this choice. And everybody's angry that the missile didn't go off, which is why he's like awkwardly staring at his deauthorization code the whole time. But we've we've been with this guy. We know, like, he's always going to choose to, if he has a choice, he's not going to kill anybody. And I'm interested to see what happens, uh, what the the consequences of this choice are. I'm just surprised he didn't own up to it immediately because oh, yeah. how dumb does he have to be to, to think that no one's going to catch on to his, <laughs> his antics? I'm sure, well, we all know, so as someone who has a, bad impulse issues let me tell you the the thoughts about consequences come later (laughs) he i'm like he's so holden's always been really impulsive and so i mean he even had it in that first episode where like (laughs) the rock was gonna explode and naomi's like run away and he's just like i'm a smash and then he tells her later like i could not think about what came after because the only thing that mattered was me thinking about that i will get out of here so I had to do what I had to do to get out of here. So I think Holden's always thinking in the present. And so like he's not he's not thinking about what's going to happen next. He's just thinking like this is this is a moment I have to make a choice and this is the choice I'm going to make in this moment and I will deal with the consequences later because you have to ask yourself Holden what do you when are you going to get an opportunity when do you think you're going to get another opportunity to stop Marco? So he's de- just He's the dude's not thinking, genuinely well, the, not using his brain. And the thing is that, and, and Fred mentioned it before, it's when we first watched this episode, the first thing that came to mind was, does he really want Naomi to look at him and think I like he's the reason why my son is dead? No, that's not what he wants on his shoulders, and that's. I think that's part of like the reason why he he stops himself because he's gonna kill Naomi's son. He's mm-hmm. gonna kill a bunch of people that should not be blamed for Marco's like desire to have bloodshed, mm. and that's a huge issue. All right, Catholic guilt, James Holden. Yeah, he's back. <laughs> Should have known he wasn't wouldn't be gone for long. Well, anything else uh, of the Rossinante? 
Yeah, Fred, you got anything else? That was your favorite. I, I want to say this was, <laughs> and please be aware, I've seen all six episodes. I think this is my favorite moment in the entire season. That shot of the, the Rosinante spinning 360 and firing that railgun. I don't know. Something about that just, um, I, that that's my that number one. I can't and that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's no other action happening. It's just oh, there's lots of action coming. Trust me, but my I don't know. Just the subtleness of that that ship spinning and taking out that one ship in one shot. Just yeah. I mean, the shot of that tool holding still <clears throat> while the ship was spinning around it. Yes, was so good. There's so many things about it that were just so sexy. You know, like just, incredible. She lives Everything up to her it. name. Uh-huh. Sexy woman. <laughs> is that what Rossi means in Spanish? No. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, and Andrea speaks Spanish. Rossi? No. No, it doesn't have anything. In... Can you imagine if it was? I mean, it means foremost nag. I, I read Don Quixote. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything good, but we can pretend. We can pretend it means sexy ship that does fantastic turns. (laughs) All right. So now our final section, Laconia. All right. Laconia. That's actually a bad word in Spanish, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) You started it. it. You started it. (laughs) So Kara is still thinking about the sunbirds, even in class. When she heads to the meadow after school, Zahn tries to join her, but she tells him to stay behind. She finds her parents' drone repaired as the strange dog appears and quickly notices the bird is somehow alive again. She realizes the dogs can fix things, even living things. They're fixers. She runs home to tell her parents before she can... Sorry, she runs home to tell her parents before she can notice there's something off about the bird. When she gets there, her parents are crying and she finds out Zahn has been killed. A babysitter. This is not one that I'm going to be calling anytime soon. <laughs> no kidding. Like, what a what a moment. She's supposed to be looking after her brother after class and um, just doesn't. And, and he had some dead. Like, All he wanted God. to do was play soccer with you, Kara. Like, what a what guilt trip? I, I don't know. But he's, yeah, this is this is heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, she went from, like, this exciting realization, like, oh, my God, these dogs, they can fix things. They can fix all kinds of things. And I really love that moment, too, when she says, oh, my God, like, you fix things. Like, I love that, that childlike glee at finding out something new. And she runs home only to find out her brother's dead. Imagine being excited that a bird you thought you killed was alive and then go home, find out, like, your favorite dog is dead or something like that. Like, that sucks. I mean, the first thing I would do is, like, pick up my dead dog and send it to the dogs. Yeah, give it right to the dog. Well, (laughs) so it's like, uh, it's, I mean, what emotional whiplash is what what I would call it. Yeah, no, I I thought it was a really, really um, interesting foreshadowing of what's to come. Because we do only get small snippets of what's happening in Laconia. Um, we kind of can put the pieces together about what's going to be coming coming next. Um, but it's really interesting that they've been in this planet for how long and she has been the first one to find out, maybe, potentially. We only see her side of the story. 
about what these dogs can do. Yeah. I kind of want to give these dogs a hot dog and see if they can reanimate it. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> can you imagine that? You know what I thought was buck wild when the teacher was talking to them and he was like basically saying that the this really well resourced like scientific team is relying on children to do their work yeah. and he was like remember tell us everything especially if something changes and I was like bro these are kids some of them are as young as like six and you're giving them science jobs what kind of I thought child labor was illegal it kind of made you feel like this outpost is actually really really small mm. yeah like hundreds, not thousands of people. Yeah. It also makes you wonder, like, if they're asking kids to keep an eye on the flora and fauna, which makes sense now that now that she, you know, was looking for animals in the first episode, it kind of like makes it make sense a little bit. Um, but if you're relying on kids to keep an eye on the flora and fauna, what are the adults focusing on? Mm-hmm. What are they hiding? What are they working on? And does it have anything to do with the creepy, spooky ship boy up in space? No, they are making more babies. Oh, oh that's ah, ah, making yeah. making the military. Yeah, <laughs> populating the colony. Little soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, at least Kara is not going to get in trouble for destroying destroying the, the drone. Yes, that was my thought. She's like, she could put it back, pretend like nothing happened. But at the same time, her she probably could have done that anyway because her parents were distracted because her brother was dead. Yeah. So he did it. Jeez. Oh no! <laughs> he wouldn't be able to say anything. <laughs> or will he? Oh, oh. Dun, dun, dun. oh right. here, doggy doggies. <laughs> Any last thoughts? Any last words of the episode? This nope. sexy ships. Maybe that's what I'll call the episode. Sexy ships of the universe. The, do I mean relationships? Do I mean ship ships? You won't know till you listen to this episode, Sexy Ships. Oh, I like that. I thought you were going to call it Holden, 10 pounds too short. <laughs> 10 pounds <laughs> too slim. Holden, <laughs> Holden is 10 pounds too light for Fred's liking. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't think that's a, that's a nice and clickable Well, episode. see, here's here's the problem, Fred. As Bobby and, and Amos have told us, the food's bad, so Holden's not going to be gaining weight anytime soon. <laughs> this is true. There's no there's no Wendy's. No, no, no Wendy's. <laughs> Love how you went right for the Wendy's. I was going to say, there's no fly the Spicy nugs. Holden can't, get, Holden can't get the eight-piece spicy nugs. The chicken nuggies. He needs a double down. <laughs> Not the All right, one. let's end this episode before we uh, start getting more hungry. I <laughs> wrote on a piece of paper, sushi, question mark. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is future Shannon once again checking in uh, to read some social media responses. I'm actually coming to you just after finishing our final um, episode recap. And I'm um, very excited for you to hear everything that we have coming for you in the coming weeks. So last week, uh, we asked you to let us know what your favorite moments of episode 302 as your dragon were. 
so that we can include it uh, in our season three, or I'm sorry, episode three coverage. We also asked you to let us know what you were hoping to see in episode three or what you were excited to see. So let me read to you some of the answers we got. We got a lot more uh, this week than we did last week. So Dr. Strawberry Jelly or Jelly Junior 123 said, hoping to see Miller again. Avasarala is always my favorite. Kala Chalone, they them. And I, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Kala Chone or Cal, oh my goodness. Kala Chalone, they them. Uh, Kala Chalone on Twitter said, fave thing. Bobby giving Amos a hard time. Who else could say those things and mean it? True, true. Matt J, Matt the Rat Jacob, said the truth of someone getting hit with PTSD and getting back into things shortly after. I hope to see how they handle it going forward. Brown coat with brown coat wit of the house swear engine uh, said, "OMG, the Bobby firmly putting Amos in place makes me laugh harder with every rewatch." But the scene with Amos and Peaches and Holden in the infirmary just chokes me up. Chuck Perry, Prototype 66, said Bobby called Amos Peewee. Great callback. Uh, also thought it was tiny, but I mean, it's still, listen, it's still a callback, Chuck. Don't even worry about it. We all, we all do stuff like that. Um, Disposo the Clown, Disposo the Clown said, this episode intimidated me sexually. Glad to hear it. Uh, every episode does that at this point. Uh, Black Sky Noon Midnight on Twitter says, Bobby making that epic landing, Avasarella guilt tripping Monica, and Philip coming to terms with killing his best friend, Owen Marco's top knot, and the Poppy, the Poppy 17 said, uh, yes, the top knot, or his top knot man bun made it. Uh, Belter Girl, ma'am. You never got back to me. Uh, <laughs> she said, know what? I'm just going to have to watch yet again to properly formulate a couple of questions. Be right back. Still waiting. I'll see you next week. Uh, Chucky, Alexandria Boy, Virginia. VA, not Virginia, but VA. Uh, said, favorite part of 602. And it was uh, a gif of Clarissa saying that's the first time he said it was part of the crew. Clearly sticking out to everybody. Sean Lodging, KWCH Sean, said, I loved Bobby on the Rossi, and seeing someone willing to stand up to Marco was nice. He needed to be taken on. I hope something happens to restore the crew of the Rossi. It had me has me worried that if Marco wasn't hanging over their head, they'd partnered off and gone their own ways. Definitely feeling that. Jemesh, Jemesh on Twitter, said, favorite part, thinking emoji. Does From the Strange Dogs open to the closing credits count as one? Absolutely. I will accept that as an answer. I don't judge. Bobby and the crew's interaction. I love her teasing condescension with Amos. Not sure murder snuggles will take it for too long. VFX were mind-blown emoji. Uh, the chase scene. OMG. Uh, will Oye Beltalota Urku Heart. And here's the thing. You don't understand, Will. I've been trying to figure out how to say that in my head for Longer than I've had this reply in my mentions. Uh, Urku Will on Twitter said, I love the scenes with Drummer and Liang Walker. Can't wait to see where that goes. 
really feeling it hard for Naomi, who is going through a very not fun time, to say the least, and needs a win to help pull her out of this funk. Edward Kane said MCRN, or uh, S Kicks 247 said MCRN representing Captain Sadrine Carino would be awesome. To which Sean Lodging said, yes, I believe on Ty and that guy. Ty said they brought her back this season. Uh, so as you guys know, yes, they, you now know that, yes, they did bring her back. Uh, very exciting to see her uh, come back. You know, it's always great when, like, fan favorite, you know, characters that maybe only show up once but stick in your head so incredibly get to come back. You get to see them again and kind of uh, see them doing new things and doing things in a new light. Um, thank you guys again so much for getting back to us. I really love reading all of your responses. Basically, I just want to take this time to, now that, you know, this whole season recording's behind us, um, I just want to thank you guys for supporting the show. Uh, those of you who listen every week, you really, we really appreciate you. Um, more than you probably know. And every time you guys send us responses, we are so happy to get them. Uh, I just, there is not enough words to kind of explain how you guys, uh, make us feel and how, you know, proud we are to be able to bring you something, um, that is so, you know, close to our heart and share this labor of love with you. So, um, that being said, I have no more replies to read. So I'm going to get you back into, uh, the closing part of this episode. Really hope you've enjoyed it. Please be sure to let us know, uh, what, how you think we're doing. We are posting episodes on YouTube now, so keep an eye out for those YouTube links. Uh, we're so excited to to be on YouTube now to kind of be on another platform. Spotify also now allows you to rate podcasts. We don't have our own podcast page on Spotify, unfortunately, but we are there. Uh, so if you could just give a rating to the Random Chatter Network, that would also be a huge, huge help. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll see you next week in our next episode. So... Tell us what you thought about this episode. Did you like it? Did you see things that we did not see? Did you agree or disagree with the commentary that we had on um, this episode force projection? You can email us at typingmatrandomchatter.com. You can also find our Twitter um, on Twitter, sorry, at Typebeam. Um, also, Random Chatter. You can also find me on Twitter at CatsBears. That's K-A-T-Z-B-E-A-R-Z. -E Shannon, where can they find you? You can find me almost anywhere at ShankBeezy. Fred, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at FreddyWantKenobi. That's F-R-E-D-D-Y-W-O-N. Kenobi. <laughs> you can also find us on RandomChatter.com, where we don't just talk about The Expanse, but we talk about so much more. So, I ask you this every time. I need you to help us spread the word. Uh, leave some reviews on your podcast platform of choice. 
like uh, specifically i think itunes itunes is probably the big commenty place i did see we got a new rating love that like even if you just want to drop some stars it really helps us become a little bit more visible on the platform especially because there's a lot of expanse podcasts like there's an absurd amount of expanse podcasts not in a bad way but we want to stand out too you know so you know leave reviews tell us how we're doing tell us what you think of the show because we can absolutely use that to improve upon our show and you want that as much as we do you can also share us on social media i post all the new episodes on twitter we have a lot of fun on twitter we post like questions sometimes we joke around with people it's a it's a good time so like you know share us on social media help more people notice us or join us on our fun also word of mouth is super important tell your friends about us if you have friends who watch the expanse and are looking for a recap podcast or maybe are looking for discussions where they can pick up on things they might not have noticed in an episode feel free to recommend them this show i take way too many notes so i notice a lot of weird details i'd be happy to help you out so you know let let the expanse fan in your life be this holiday know about a new podcast for christmas and some final credits on the episode. The music that you hear is Ursa Minor by Seldwell. And as silly as this sentence sounds, all trademarks are owned by the respective owners. Thank you for listening. And remember the can't. Remember the can't. Remember you can. <laughs> wow. You can remember the can't. <laughs> <laughs>